So we've been asking the question, why did Jesus come? And, and over the last uh, month or so, we've been seeing how God has faithfully answered that question, how Jesus in His time here on earth expressed to us the purposes for why He came. It all started when we looked at, at Jesus' interaction with uh, Pilate there at His arrest. When Jesus revealed to Pilate that He came to bear witness to the truth. That in Him we could know what truth is. Such an important thing, right? Especially today. So many different ideas of what truth is. Um, so many different uh, claims to truth. Or, just as dangerous, so many different claims that there is no truth. That, that there's nothing that can be fully known or truly understood. Jesus came in order to bear witness to the truth so that we could know what truth is. Then we looked at, at uh, Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where He said that, that He came to fulfill the law so that in Him all of that which had been given through, uh, through the prophets, through Moses, uh, through the working of God's Spirit, would be fulfilled in us. Promising that we would have a righteousness that would exceed that of the Pharisees. Not a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that was given to us, imputed to us by Christ Himself. He who had no sin became our sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God, standing before Him blameless, without any accusation, without any shame, His law perfectly fulfilled within us. That's what Jesus promised. And then we looked at Jesus' message um, when he said that as he was being attacked by those that were uh, criticizing the way that he was uh, meeting the needs, when he was going out and hanging out with sinners, with those that were marginalized, that were looked down on in the, in the community. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. Oh, what good news. Because we have all been lost. We need that saving. We need that redemption. So His promise to us is that He came to seek and to save the lost. And then finally, um, out of that passage in John 10.10, where Jesus said that He came to give life in all of its fullness, in all of its abundance. So often we get the wrong idea, right? That, that the, the Christian life is all about rules and regulations and there's this heavy weight that we carry of things that we can't do and things that we can do. And, and, and it's, it's this misunderstanding 
misunderstanding of the life with Jesus because he came to give us an abundant life, a life full of joy, of hope, of meaning, of purpose. Um, All of those promises that we see out in the world today, that they promise that they are going to fill us with the things that we need, the things that will bring us joy. All of those are, are only there to steal, to rob us of the true joy and fulfillment that we receive through God. Jesus came to give us life in all of its fullness, in its abundance. Those are wonderful messages. Those are wonderful truths that we can all hang on to. Uh, That those are the things that Jesus came to do. And yet, we look around at the world today and there still is, even though Jesus came to bear witness to the truth, trying to nail down what is truth in this world, seems like an effort in futility. The lies have grabbed a hold of our world so strongly. The deceptions that Satan wants to try and and, and, uh, get our eyes off of God with surround us everywhere. And even within the family of God, there is a struggle of knowing what is true and what is not. Jesus came to fulfill the law, to be, to give us that righteousness, and yet still, I struggle with sin. Even though He came to rescue me from, uh, from that life, that old life, that was captive to sin, that, that, that all, all I could ever do was sin. Jesus came to rescue me from that, to give me that righteousness so that I no longer have to sin, and yet still, I fall, I trip, I go my own way. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and yet there are so many who are lost. There are so many who are destined for a a future, a destiny of destruction. Jesus came to give abundant life, and yet there is pain. There's sorrow. There's grief. There's struggle. And what we have to come down to to understand is that in this time, we live within what is called the already, but the not yet. That all of these things are true, but not yet in their fullness, not yet in their completion. We have been rescued, but there still is a a moment, a time in the future when we will feel and experience the fullness of that rescue, of that glorification, of that salvation. But it's not yet. And so we still struggle. It's it's similar to the idea that we have of of an an engagement before marriage. We've had the opportunity of of celebrating with uh, with one young couple here in our in our church family who have gotten engaged over the Christmas holidays, Emily and Brandon, 
um, God engaged um, over Christmas, which is a wonderful celebration. But that, that idea of an engagement is there has been promises that have been made. There is a commitment to spending a life together. But not yet. There is a waiting. There is a time of preparation. There is a process that goes on that, that, that builds up to, towards that wedding experience, to that, uh, to that uh, uh, union before God and before all the rest of the community, of their union as one. It's the already but not yet. It's interesting that Jesus uses that, that imagery so often of an engagement, of, 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 a, of a coming wedding feast in His description of what the kingdom of God is like. So often He talks about uh, the, the preparations of, of being ready, of when the, the bridegroom will return to, to claim his bride and they will, be, uh, they will be made one and celebrate together. Uh, there is the, the, uh, the description of the invitations that go out for the wedding feast, for people to be ready for that wedding feast. Uh, there is the, the prophecies about the the wedding feast of the Lamb, that He will be united with His bride, and all of those images that are in place. And I was looking for it. We've actually had uh, a video in the back from time to time. Lynn and and, uh, Bob have have that available um, called Before the Wrath. And it it goes through and talks about, shows how the, the, the Galilean wedding ceremony is such a, a used, a, 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 a prominent figure in, in the, the Scripture, in the description of what, what God's, what Christ's return will be like, um, how we can prepare for that, because uh, that Galilean wedding is, is uh, what, was, what was foremost in the people's minds that Jesus was talking about, uh, talking to there in first century Galilee. And so when we understand how he was using those, those principles, those ideas, those imagery to describe his return, um, they open up our, our understanding of what, it, what we can be looking forward to. So we live in this already, but not yet. And the promise is, is that, that even though Christ has come, that his first advent has come, that he... He will come again. That His promise is that He will return. And and in that, we will see a a fullness, a completion of all that He had promised. So when He came to be a witness to the truth, when the Son of Man comes, when He returns again as conquering King, He not only will bear witness to the truth, He will establish the truth in this world. There will be no uncertainty. There will be no question of what is true and what is not in this world. We read that promise in Micah chapter 4. And feel free to turn in your Bibles to Micah chapter 4, one of the the Old Testament prophecies. goes, if you're looking and you're trying to figure out, it goes Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, 
Jonah, and then Micah. It's a good name, right? Absolutely. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this great promise. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, we know that to be Jerusalem, the mountain of the house of the Lord of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above all the other hills, and all the peoples of the world shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isn't that a marvelous picture? That there will come a time when the Son of Man returns, when His kingdom is established here on earth, that the people of all of the nations will flock to Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord, to know what is truth, to allow that, that, that foundation, that, that, that thing that is, that is right, that standard, that canon, that, that cannot be changed, that does not it does not morph as, as different cultures come and go and ages fly away. There, is the, there will be a certainty and everybody will cherish that truth. And they will seek it out rather than being distracted or, or, or torn aside by the lies and the deceptions that are in this world. When when Jesus comes again, he will establish his truth once and for all. And there will be no uncertainty. There will be no question. Jesus, when he first came, came to fulfill the law. But when he comes again, he will write that law on our hearts. It will no longer be just a... a a guideline, and an understanding, something that we will try and measure up to. Instead, it will become the very nature of who we are. That it will become natural for us to live out those things that God has declared, that God has established as right and wrong. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Another of the great Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah 31, and we're going to start reading at verse 33. This is part of, of God's declaration of his, of his punishment and His discipline of His sinful people. But then at verse 31, there is a, there's a, a switch, a change, and God begins to, to declare the promises of what will come. Verse 33, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, that covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each other teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For we shall all know, or for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. We still struggle with sin, but there will come a day. There will come a day when Jesus returns that his law will be written on our hearts that we will naturally live that out as we were created and intended to do. And that is the wonderful promise that we have of Jesus' second coming. Jesus came to, to seek and to save the lost. There is a number there is a specific group of people that God has determined that He will rescue. And when He comes again, it will be because that number has been fulfilled. Has been completed. Turn with me to Romans chapter 20, uh, verse, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 11. This is Paul writing to, to the church in Rome. And, and starting at chapter 9, he's been talking about the relationship between God and His people Israel. And the people of Israel and the, the nations, the Gentile nations, uh, the church that God is, is raising up. And all those that God is rescuing and those that He is saving. And in chapter 11 and verse 25, Paul writes, Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There is a blessing that God has been giving to the nations of the world, us who are non-Jews, is that God is, has allowed a hardening of the Israel's heart so that there's enough of an opportunity for those of us that He has called, those of us that He has chosen, to be sought after, to be saved and to be rescued and be brought into the family of God, to be grafted into that tree so that we become part of the, the, the fruit-producing tree, the olive of God, that great marvelous kingdom of God that will, that will create a, a place of nurturing, of safety, of, 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 of nutrition, of health and, and strength for all of the world. But there is a full number. There is a number that God has intended. We, we read about that a number of places in, in Scripture where God says until the, the fullness of all of those that will come, 
have been achieved, that God will continue to tarry. He will continue to wait until that number is complete. And then the Son of Man will return. And so even though there are many still who are lost, God is, God is not going to waste anyone that He will bring to completion and salvation all those that He has chosen. Jesus, when He first came, came to give us an abundant life, and yet we still experience pain and sorrow and loss. But when Jesus comes again in His second advent, all things will be restored. All things will be made right. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Yes, in this time of the not yet, of the already but not yet, we still experience pain. We still experience suffering. We still struggle through all aspects of our life. But, but the promise is, is that when things have been made new, when Christ returns again, that all things will be restored. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3. This is John speaking and he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be, them, will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning Neither shall there be crying nor pain anymore, for these former things have passed away. The reason that we still experience suffering, the reason that we still experience pain and struggle is because we live still in a fallen world. But when Jesus comes again, all things will be made new. The brokenness that we have with, with the, the creation around us will be restored. And there will no longer be the tension between us and, and the ground and the, the plants and the animals. There will be a, a harmony, a unity. There will be a, a, a perfection in the way that we interact. There will no longer be dissension and brokenness in relationships between men and women and, and um, brothers and sisters. And the peoples of this world, the nations, there won't be that tension anymore because all will be made new. And there will be a unity and a harmony and a love and a joy in our relationships. There will no longer be that suffering within us, that uncertainty within our hearts between uh, us and ourselves, that brokenness that's there. All will be made new and there will be a peace and there will be a joy and there will be a contentment. No more suffering, no more tears, no more dying, no more mourning. All things will be made new. That's good news. So how do we live in the already but not yet?
one of the key factors, one of the key ways that, that you will be able to endure through this diffi- these difficult days is to keep your mind on that hope, to keep that foremost in your thoughts. That perhaps today, The Lord will return. His second coming will, will, will happen. The trumpet will sound. We will be caught up in the air with Him. And we will be with Him forever. Having, having that hope in our minds, that glory, as Paul talks about it, in the foremost of our thoughts, it melts away the struggle and the pain and the sorrow that we feel today. It it pales in comparison to the joy that is set before us. So we live with that in mind. We live in that hope. Living in that hope also means that we declare that promise to a world because there are so many that need to know. There are so many that are still bound up by the lies and deceptions that are, that are being professed in this world as truth. That they need to know that truth. They need to know that Jesus loves them. That Jesus has a plan and a purpose for them. And that Jesus in, in relationship with Him brings new life. So we live in that already but not yet by remembering that the wedding day is coming. And that we prepare ourselves to be ready for that and that we come alongside as many as we can to help them discover for themselves the hope and the truth of His second advent, of His coming at the end of days. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank You for the promise of Your second advent. Lord, sometimes it... it, We talk about it. We read verses about it. And yet we, we lose the, the reality of it, that, that it seems to slip through our fingers like we can't grasp that, that, that great hope that you have, that you have promised to us. It, it becomes commonplace. And it loses the the power of its transforming uh, assurance in our lives. Pray God that today, that in this year, as we continue to live in this already, not yet, 
that we would be able to hold fast to that great promise that you are coming again. As the angels told the, the apostles as they stood there on the mountain looking up into the clouds where you had just returned, uh, a promise that you will come again. So as we, as we hold on to that hope, allow that to motivate then our action in this world to realize the urgency of the message that needs to get out into the lives of this, of the people in our community, the people that we interact with. Father, would You inspire us? Would Your Spirit empower us? Would You equip us to be able to, to proclaim that message in this world? Lord, we know that the days are short. We know that Your coming is near. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be ready. Help us to be engaged in, in, in that, that, that mission that you have called us to of making disciples of all the nations. And would you hold us fast? Hold us steady until the completion, until the fullness, until that glorious wedding day when we will be united with you to be with you always. We give you glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.